first question is, um, how would you define accompaniment in the context of being a missionary disciple? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, you know, Pope Francis said missionary disciples accompany missionary disciples, and it, it's such a, a wonderful vision of how we are called to live out the mission of Jesus in the world. If I were to describe accompaniment and define it, I would say it is coming alongside and walking with one another. It could be a fellow missionary disciple. It could also be someone who's much earlier on the journey. It usually depends upon what Sherry Waddell calls God giving us a divine appointment and sending us to someone. Mm, that's beautiful. So what are some common misconceptions you think? Well, there's three that in my work I commonly run into. Um, one of the things that I was privileged to do was develop with Sherry and Bobby Vidal something called Ananias Training, where we actually help parishes train their parishioners to do exactly this, to accompany others. And the first misconception we often run into is the sense that I'm in this alone and that I'm, you know, it all depends on me. And that's one of the reasons why we took as an image for Ananias training this beautiful painting by Janet Brooke Gerloff. Now, it's her image of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But there's actually three people in the painting. And one is just drawn in an outline, and that's Jesus. And so that's one of the things I always remind people whenever we talk about accompaniment or evangelization, I will tell them, take a deep breath in, hold that breath, now let it out. Relax. Jesus is already there. He's been there walking with that person before you got on the scene. He is there with the two of you now, and he will be with them when you leave. And it just takes a little bit of the pressure off because we realize that we're not in this alone. The second one that I run into quite frequently is people feel like they have to have some kind of special theological training or background or having some certificate because they're afraid that they have to know everything. And the reality is we walk alongside one another and we offer our insights, our testimony, we share with them what we know, but if we don't know it, we honestly say, I don't know, but you know what, I'll help you find out. And the other misconception that we find is the sense that, it, as I said before, it all depends on me and the fact that I'm the only human person that's walking with this individual. When we listen to story after story of people who have grown in their relationship with God, the one thing that becomes crystal clear is, yes, there may have been some people who walked intentionally with them, but many, many people have three, four, five, six people who, they, who are part of their conversion story that they are walking with. We um, tell a story often in Making Disciples about a young man who became Catholic. And over a period of years, there were the two Catholic young men who were on the cross-country team with him. There was his Catholic girlfriend who also had a religious sister as her sister. Um, it was a priest that he encountered. It was someone that he encountered at his secular university, a professor who happened to be Catholic. God kept putting all these people in his life. 
And that's why we say, in a sense, we're called to be Ananias for one another. Ananias being that Ananias that Saul met after he met, had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, who walked with him until he was baptized. So that's, that's, those are the three top misconceptions I often run into. Mm, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So why is accompaniment so important in the realm of missionary discipleship? Well, I think especially in our day and age, a lot of people are not going to simply come to church because we throw a banner up on the building and we say, y'all come, we have a great event coming. Um, the reality is that people are mo- first motivated by a relationship. In fact, Barna just recently uh, published a study in January. It was called Reviving Evangelism. And in their interviews with non-practicing Christians and non-Christians, when they asked them, what kind of evangelizing encounter would you welcome? Overwhelmingly, people said a one-on-one casual conversation or a small group conversation. And those of us who have been involved in the work of RCIA recognize this. When people come inquiring about becoming Catholic, when you begin to ask them to tell me a little bit of your story, why did you come now? Very often that bridge of trust that was a person, that was who gave them the confidence to be able to approach the church and inquire about Catholicism. And those bridges of trust are just so incredibly important because they put flesh on what it means to be a disciple. When we're out there and we're telling our story and we're witnessing to what what a disciple does and how a disciple lives, it shows people that it's been done before. In fact, it's not unusual for people to sometimes say, well, you know, if John John can do it, then I can do it too. But it gives them a confidence that there is a journey to be made and that it's a journey that can be made. Mm. So... What, what are ways you think that people botch or, or what you define or look at as mistakes in accompanying others? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, part of Ananias training is we actually give people an opportunity to have conversations, and we also listen to them after they've been through the training and as they've been, to it, they've been accompanying people. Um, one of the biggest challenges that most people have is, first and foremost, not racing ahead of the person they're accompanying and presuming what it is they need to hear or what it is they need to recommend as a resource. That to be able to pull back a little bit and challenge yourself to listen 90% and talk only 10%, to really allow that person to unpack their story. So that's one thing that we find. The other thing is um, we find that people tend to want to give the complete answer for fear that they won't give the whole answer that the person needs. And so what we say is it, we have a tendency to douse people with a gallon full of an answer when only a thimble full is what they're looking for. And so it's just you know, really and truly answering the question in front of us. And I think also the final thing that we find that's a challenge for all of us is to really pay attention to the person in front of us. God calls us to love them and to respond to their needs and to what, what 
and to help them see how God is calling them in that time and place to a relationship with him. And that may not be what worked for us or what we prefer. And so the cha- one of the biggest challenges is not to presume that what worked for us is going to work for them as well. Mm. That's, that's a really great answer. So what, what are some great suggestions you can share that will help people learn how to accompany others in healthy and fruitful ways? I think first and foremost, we need to be healthy in our own relationship with the Lord. We need to be pursuing uh, growing in that relationship and growing in our relationship with his church as well. So that means we cannot set aside prayer um, in favor of witnessing and accompaniment. We have to make sure that we're people of prayer. We, we need to continue to steep ourselves in his word. We need to participate in the sacraments. We need to just do what we need, what's necessary in order for us to continue to grow in that relationship with him. And then, as I said before, really learning to love the person you're called, we're called to accompany. Sometimes the person that we're called to accompany is someone whom we may not choose ourselves, but God chose them for us. And so it's really and truly being able to love them as, with the eyes of God as God loves them. And then the last thing is just truly be authentic, honest and authentic and recognize that sometimes it's sharing where we've stumbled or the obstacles that we've faced that make us real are also helps to that person in front of us that can help them begin to grow in their relationship with the Lord. So the last question is, please give me an example without betraying anyone's privacy of a great example of how someone accompanied someone else so that fruits emerged as a result. Oh, I've got a great story to share. I was just thinking about this person this morning. There was a woman who was um, just an RE mom was how she described herself. She, she was one of these people. She was in the drop-off and pick-up line. for religious education, but she didn't go to Mass, but she made sure she got her kids to Mass. And there was this woman who had been trained in the art of accompaniment, as Pope Francis talks about, and she was simply going from car to car to car. And she was trying to forge a bridge of trust with the moms in the pickup line. And this one particular woman, Diane, approached the RE mom, Jane, and said, and just simply introduced herself and said, is there some way I can pray for you today? That was how she started. And so, you know, Jane responded to Diane and she said, well, yeah, you know, mm, I'm having a tough time at work. Maybe you could pray about that situation. And so that continued for several weeks. And then finally Diane felt prompted to ask Jane, would you like to come in and have a cup of coffee? This was at the beginning of RE. And she did. They had a room called the parent place at their parish. And so they walked into the parent place. And so they began a relationship. And in the beginning, Jane was asking a lot of questions. And Diane felt like she was a Catholic trivia machine, (laughs) that she was responding to all of these particular questions. But she just kept going very patiently, forging a relationship. And then finally, Diane felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask Jane about where did God fit into all of this for her. And so she did. And Jane got very quiet, and she got teary-eyed. And then she began to talk. 
Jane began to hear herself speak out loud where God was in the midst of the mess of life. And she began to hear herself articulate the hunger and the desire for a deeper relationship with him. That became a turning point in their relationship. Jane then began to ask questions about how did Diane pray? How did she grow in her relationship with God? How did she handle the changes that she felt a growing relationship with God would cause her to make? How did she do that as a wife and a mother and a career woman? As it turned out, Jane would eventually come back to the practice of the faith. She would first venture into Mass with Diane. Diane would take her to adoration, and the two of them would pray together. They began to read a little bit of Scripture together, just the coming Sunday Gospel, nothing big. And through that process, Jane became closer to Christ and became closer to his church. She reconciled with the church, and she also brought her husband back to the church. So that can be the fruit of accompaniment. It's not something that happened overnight, but it was a beautiful thing to watch to unfold.